Welcome back to Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. I'm your host and three-time NWA world champion, Jeremy Vilmer. And joining us now is your host, Bobby Blaze. Hey, Jeremy. Thank you for welcoming me to the show. I appreciate it very much, my friend. Oh, see, I figured you were going to call me on the NWA title thing. Well, you know, just three times, I'm a little bit disappointed. I figured it'd be at least an <laughs> eight or a nine time. You know, uh, speaking of which, do you... Why do you bring up that NWA title? I'm just curious. Well, I just bought a uh, replica of the belt, and I figure if uh, Billy Corgan hadn't bought the company, nobody would know I was an NWA champion. Well, now they know. Exactly. Maybe I shouldn't have said anything. Well, you could be booked next week. You better be careful. Oh, this is true. Oh, God. <laughs> I better start getting in shape then. Yeah, I hear you, man. Yeah. But it's a nice-looking belt. I saw a picture of it, and I'm glad you brought it up. It's a, it's a beautiful-looking belt, man. And, and to me, I said, did you have that? That's... Um, Really cool, man. I'm, I'm, I'm really digging it. Well, really digging. I, I figured it'd be easier just to buy that than to wait for Jim Cornette to give us the Smoky Mountain tag titles. <laughs> That'll never happen. <laughs> <laughs> He's not departing with those. <laughs> I, I don't know why you would, but I'd sure like to have them. But yeah. that being said, perhaps I've said too much. Yeah. Yeah. Good week for you, man? Uh, it was it, All things being considered, I've had worse. So how about you? Well, you know, uh, uh, off the line, we know what's going on. Um, we're talking, so yeah, we've got a lot of stuff going on. But you know, um, we're gonna keep it positive and uplifted here. I had a pretty good week because last uh, Saturday I got to go to the uh, Fan Fest for Bobby Fulton for the um, his retirement show. Unfortunately, I didn't get to stay to the show uh, for the actual wrestling sh- uh, portion of it. Uh, I was having some eye problems. My left eye sometimes is like looking through wax paper. Um, and I, I don't know if that's from uh, someone throwing powder in it, people punching it, or just because I'm getting old as fuck. But nonetheless, I drove up, had a great time. Um, I got to speak with Bobby. The only person I didn't get to see was Jim Cornette. He was coming a little bit later in the day. But I got to speak with, um, I guess, a few shout-outs and name-dropping real quick. Yeah, absolutely. Got to speak with Bobby. That was great. Um, spoke with Shane Douglas. It's always nice to see Shane. He and I spoke. He talked how lucky we were to actually work on the tail end of the uh, the territory system. You know, we spoke, and uh, we was actually beside each other on the tables, and that was really cool. Always good to see him. My buddy Tracy Smothers got to see him for a little bit, talked to him. Barbarian, a mass superstar. I got to speak quite a bit with Kevin Sullivan. I always enjoy talking to Kevin. You can't walk away from talking to Kevin without learning something or picking up some piece of knowledge, and that's always great. I saved one, this name here, for last because I hadn't seen him for about a year and a half, and it's uh, Beautiful Bobby Eaton. Beautiful Bobby is one of my favorite people in the world, one of my favorite people in the wrestling business. Um, you can never, I don't think you'd ever find anyone to say anything bad about beautiful Bobby Eaton. And, um, when, when I saw him, man, it just, we gave each other a big hug and took a picture together and I've got it saved right now. I'm not having posted or anything, but it's always, uh, great to see Bobby Eaton and he looked like he's doing really, really well. And, um, it was just a good time. I got to see a couple of fans, uh, that I, that I follow. They follow me. Uh, Demo Man from Demo Blast Studios came out. He's a photographer and, and uh, does a podcast. I'll give him a quick shout out. And also, uh, William Harding came up. He came up from Lexington, Kentucky. And he's the one they, um, he escaped, uh, many years ago. The old ICW, uh, Bob Roop oh, Sugar Home Challenge. Yeah. And so William and I are friends. In fact, I think he's down in Florida this week uh, visiting with Bob Roop. But, um, yeah, it's the first time in, in over 30 years, I guess, they got to see each other. But So, yeah, I got to catch up with uh, Demo Man and, and uh, William Harding. And then also, like I said, some of those guys. I got to see Bill Dundee. got to speak to him. 
Um, and I'm probably leaving a few people out. But, uh, yeah, it was a really good time. And it, it's good just to keep my finger or my thumb on a pulse of the business, if you will. And so i just like to say, uh, you know, Bobby Fulton's a really, really good friend of mine. And I wish him nothing but continued success um, outside the ring. And I'm sure he has plenty of stuff. He has two boys. He'll keep his hands full um, outside the ring. But I wish Bobby nothing but continued success in his life because he's a, he's a really good, good person. So, um, Bobby Fulton, I love you, brother. Uh, and that, that's all I want to give some shout outs there, Jeremy. No, Thanks. that's that's cool. That's great. It sounds like you had a fun time there. I did. I just left before it got dark. That was my deal. Um, I, I, I was a little bit leery about driving at night. I was only about two hours from home up in in, in Ohio, but uh, I, I left prior to knowing that it wouldn't get dark prior to my departure. Um, I was just just had a flare up, man, one of them things, and yeah. I thought, you know what, I'd rather leave what I have in my pocket, and get home safe, than trying to leave, you know, eleven or twelve at night and. Uh, knowing that road sometimes gets foggy and, and also if that eye like it was i just had to had to tap out and come on home but for what from the time i got there to the time i left i had a really really good time and uh, see some good people and see some good friends and some good fans yeah that's awesome and you know because of today's theme we were going to do the death of wcw but i ran out of uh research time so we're actually going to do the top 10 finishing holds but because you bring up the the sugar hold People don't use it anymore, but can you give us a real a description of what it looked like or how the hold was applied? You know, it might be kind of hard on a, <laughs> on a podcast to describe it. Basically, you have your if you take a guy, he's on his back. You have your left arm, depending on which side you're coming from. But if you hook, it's gonna be hard to describe this. If you okay. hook your arm uh, over top of their, say they're on their back, their right arm is down. You got your body weight on top of it. You slip your left arm underneath the back of their neck and reach across and grab their left tricep pretty much you don't have to grab it you just put your hand under it once you do that you can just use your body weight and, and lean forward and it basically takes their neck and cranks it into their chest area ah. and obviously your right arm is pinned if i'm doing it from the right side your right arm is pinned uh by my body weight your neck is secured underneath my arm so you can't go back to the mat to bridge out and you as i push forward and as i pull that left arm up underneath that tricep again it's applying pressure to both shoulders but mostly also across that neck area to where you know you're just you're just literally being stretched um and it's it's a sweet hold you know it's it's a, a sugar hold you know mm-hmm. uh, some people some people do grapevine the leg uh you can put one leg um under and over you know grapevine the leg also but really if someone knows how to do it it's it's um very very effective let's just say that very effective so um maybe i didn't give it the best description of it you can look it up online if you see someone doing it right um you'll know um Believe me, you'll know if you've been putting a sugar hold. Um, it's one of the <laughs> earliest things I was taught, and um, luckily, you know, I've, I've used it just playing around with with people in the ring, goofing, but but never in a match did someone you know uh, put me in it to tap me out, or nor did I do it to anyone else for that reason. Just and we didn't do any challenges either, you know, uh, for that. But yeah, once you're in it, you're pretty secure in the sugar hold. Um, maybe we we'll have William Harding one here one day, and he can tell you how he got out of it. But um, yeah, it's it, it's quite the hold, man. It really is. And that's going to lead into what we talked about, our top 10 holes and finishes for this week's topic. That's right. Uh, Oh, but did you want to discuss this real quick? Do you want to talk about Millie and Billy real quick before we get into the uh, holds? 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, throw it out at okay. me. What you got? Well, I just you know we I talked to you about it a little bit on Twitter one time, and then we talked on the phone about it. So back, um, I believe it's on your favorite Alice Cooper album, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure, but there's a song called Million Billy, and if I'm not mistaken, Bernie Taupin, uh, the songwriting partner of Elton John, is actually one yes. of the writers on this song. Yeah. <laughs> so it's about a young couple who have been driving around in a 64 olds with uh, the young lady's ex-husband chopped up and sealed away in baggies. Now, I have heard this song a billion times, and then for some reason, a couple months ago, when I was listening to it, I just paid a lot of attention to the end, where he's calling out for her, mm-hmm. and I could swear you hear a saw start up as he's calling for her. My theory is that she killed him, just like they had done to her ex, I assume maybe even with the help of another new lover. But you had a different takeaway from it. I did, and that's from the inside, the Alice Cooper album that you mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, and I, my opinion of you, you really opened my eyes to, or actually my ears, I guess. I went back and listened to it several times as well. I like your theory. I really do. I'm not going to dispute your theory. And the only reason I have, I have a different theory is this because I was younger when I heard it the first time when it first came out. I never really paid much attention to it as to what the meaning was, whatever. Then, and I was in college, I had a roommate. He played that album every Friday. We'd play that album. And um, no, it was on eight track back. Then. Yep. It was actually an album, so it was on eight track. We did not. I didn't listen to an eight track. But anyway, um, I always took it away that they just escaped. That's that's just the way I. You could hear them yelling, and then I didn't, you know, hear the distinct uh, saws or anything. Like that. I just he and I always just goofed on it on different parts of the songs, and I always just assumed that you know they both escaped and got away. And then whatever year it was, maybe around '94, I guess when. Um, the movie Natural Born Killers came out, uh, which has nothing to do with the album, and, and I'm rambling just a little bit, but I always figured at the if you watch the end of Natural Born Killers, and no spoiler alert, you see um, Mickey and Mallory driving away with their kids in a van, um, and I always just kind of thought, oh, that's kind of what I always thought of the Millie and Billy deal, so I always just figured, so for the last 25 years or so, I just thought, you know, that's kind of way that I could see them being lovers, escaping from the asylum, and then, you know, raising little crazy rug rats or what have you. But I will say I give creed and credits to uh, credit, fuck, credit to your theory as well. That's just my take on it. I've listened, listened, haven't caught anything that really changes my take, but it doesn't make me don't disbelieve your take. You know, I, I certainly respect it. Um, it's just, it's a, it's a funny-ass song, um, and you, I was just, Hell, like maybe they just got some other bodies, you know, chopped up in the back mm-hmm. of the car, driving around with their kids. You know, I don't know, uh, but um, but I just that's that was just my take on it. It was fun, you know, but um, I, I, you you can hear them out there in that darkness. It's kind of creepy. Yeah, but I, I guess I guess everyone can take away um, from uh, from it what they will. But also, I saw that um, the name uh, Bernie Tarpin. Also, when I when I went back, when you and I started, back, oh, okay, I know who that is. You're not even paying attention to that prior to that, you know. Yep. So, but yeah. Well, I guess um, back in '78, Bob Dylan called Alice Cooper one of the most underrated songwriters in the world. Mm, is that is, right? Yeah, which is kind of high praise, you know, when you figure that in there. I did a little bit of reading around just to see what I could find out uh, about this song, and. I could find fan theories about some things, like a lot of people are assuming that Millie and Billy were brother and sister, and that's why she's singing about their children growing inside her being all criminally insane. 
And uh, yeah, so there's some theories out there, but I couldn't find anybody else that really I I, and I didn't put my theory out there, but I didn't find anybody else that had postulated that maybe what happened to Donald happened to Billy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I done just briefly. I I thought, you know what? Maybe he's got something. So I looked and I I done a brief search, but I didn't didn't find anything either um, of spectacular make me change my views or opinion. But I, again, I certainly respect, you know, what, what your theory is, you know, so, yeah. but I guess I kind of like a happy ending Two fucking crazies escaping and, and having crazy ass babies and riding around and maybe chopping up some other fucking people. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, make a good yeah. zombie film. There you go. <laughs> All right. Okay. We got that out of the way. Um, yeah. I just wanted to discuss it with you because we hadn't really talked, talked about it. So I, I just kind of want to get it out there. Oh, um, good. Yep. All right. Well, let's go ahead. And this is following up, of course, our, our, this is our third episode. Episode number two was our top 10 world champions of all time. And, yes. and I figured since I ran out of research time, we'd go ahead and follow suit and we'll do uh top 10 finishers, uh, holds and moves of all. Uh, would you like to start with your number 10? Sure. Uh, my number 10 comes in. I'm going with the sleeper hold. Not a lot of people use it nowadays, but at one time it's such a popular, popular finish and actual hold and a finish. And, um, I'm putting that at number 10 and I have seen it work in real life. I've seen it applied, um, way back in junior high school. I had a high school science teacher that put a, uh, I was in seventh grade. He put a ninth grade football player in a variation of the sleeper hold and, and, uh, put him out. So, uh, I was convinced then as a young wrestling fan, don't fuck with the sleeper hold. It's for real. Cause Mr. Howell puts it on you. You're going out. So I figured them guys on TV put someone on a sleeper hold. They're going out. That's my number 10. Yeah, that's a good one. I did not even think to include the sleeper and I'm sorry they didn't. My number 10 is Stan Hansen's Lariat. Oh, cause that sucker looked like it'd knock a head off. Well, from what I hear, and I never took one from what I hear, it did knock heads off. You yeah, know? That's, I, so, I think the fact that Stan Hansen uh, couldn't see real well and swung for the right. fences when he threw that one, it probably did right. knock, a, knock a head off. Yeah, but I've I'll heard firsthand, you, you know, I've heard several guys tell me. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, though, in Japan, when you watch guys use the Lariat as a finisher, it always looks like it hits hard. Yes. Yeah. And you know, I hate, I seriously, I, I hate closed lines when I watch shows. And I used to always say whenever I ran shows and stuff, unless your name is Stan Hansen, don't fucking throw a clothes line. You know, cause, the, because I figure it's, it, having been to Japan, I, I agree with you. I like the lariat and I like when those guys take their fucking head off. That's what it's meant to do. And, and when you see it done properly, it's a, that's a good choice for your top 10. I like it. The yeah. lariat. Yes. I, I thought that one worked pretty well. Sure. Um, I'll do my number nine now. And this one, I'm going to preface a little bit by saying I'm specifically talking about Chris Adams, but the super kick that Chris Adams would throw. Mm. Uh, I don't, and we talked about this a little bit. I don't like the thing where 95 super kicks land in a match because nobody ever stood up for Chris Adams super kick. Right. Uh, right. But, but back then, not everybody knew how to throw a kick. It looked new. It looked different. And I could never tell if he was slapping himself to get that sound to hit. You know, a lot of guys now, you actually see them pop their own leg when they do it. I don't know that Chris Adams never done that. Yeah. Um, really, I don't. He he had a very beautiful super kick. Very beautiful super kick. That's, that's a good choice. Um, I don't think he slapped his leg. Maybe he did, but if he did, it was... Uh, he hit it well because I think he actually threw and, and having to work with Chris a couple of times, I don't think he did. I just think he threw a beautiful, beautiful super kick, you know, good choice. Um, good choice. And like you said, people didn't get up from it. That's the yeah. thing. It was a finisher. When he put the super kick on you, bam, you took it, you went down, 
that's it. One, two, three. Yeah, it was a knockout move. What did you get for yes. number nine? Uh, I put the Boston Crab in there. Oh, very I had nice. the Boston Crab. Yeah, I like that. Just the old school, you know, you see them guys sit in, especially if someone locks it in really good. Um, a lot of pressure on that lower back can be used, you know, middle of the ring. Guy has to fight to get out of it or, or he taps out. You know, it's just one of those things that I really like the Boston Crab, and that's my number nine. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. It's a high drama move, too. Sure. Sure. Yeah. You ready for number eight? Yep. What'd you got for number eight? The abdominal stretch. Oh, nice. <laughs> I love the abdominal stretch, um, especially if a guy's coming off the ropes and you hook him into it. And I was refereeing a match in Florida. I have to tell a story very briefly. Mm-hmm. Louis, Louis Australia was wrestling, uh, a friend of mine named Rico. And I had a choice to either wrestle at night and make $25 or sit, uh, sit the ring up and referee. And I got 35 for setting the ring up and 35 for referee. And so I thought, you know, fuck, I could do simple math. $70 is much better than $25. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, I got the referee, and Louis Australia, uh, Rico had the abdominal stretch on, and my brother would kill me if I didn't tell a story. And, and Louis was was a, a Hispanic uh, descent, uh, Cuban if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, he was going, oh, my God, Bobby, my insides, my insides. And I'd go around, and, of course, Rico would be holding the ropes, and I'd be you know doing the old gimmick where I didn't catch him. And every time Louis was selling, he was doing the, the just his normal accent. But he was like, he's ripping my insides out, Bobby, my God help me you know and he, i say what has he got you and what has he got he's got me in the abdominal stretch oh my god and then i'd get the office you know check the ropes and i go he's not doing it you know and he'd be selling it was just really but but uh, back to the i just i like the abdominal stretch and that's my number eight and i just had a really fun experience a referee in a match where where someone were two guys that could actually work and had a referee that knew what the fuck he was doing we had you know 15 20 minute match and it was just it was a blast to be in there and about probably eight of it was all because of a Abdominal stretch. That's um, amazing. And it, 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 that's my number eight, abdominal stretch. All right. My number eight is the Scorpion Deathlock. Oh, man. Scorpion. The, <sighs> well, and back in the days, you know, when Bret Hart used it and Sting used it, I mean, it had been around in Japan for a little while, but unless you were really into the move, you couldn't even figure out how they put him in it. You're like, now, wait a minute. Where's that leg coming from? Where's that damn thing going? Oh, God, he's got him in the Boston Crab on top of that. And it just looked amazing. I didn't even have that on it, but you know what? I, I, I still don't think I don't know how to do that move. That's, oh, excellent, excellent. The scorpion Deathlock. Is yep. that what you said? Scorpion wow. Deathlock, yeah, because it's a little bit Indian Deathlock, a little bit Boston Crab. Yeah, good. Good choice. I like yeah. it. I like it. Yeah. Now, my number seven, I, I've got a tag team move down here, and it's the Road Warriors Doomsday Device. Where uh, he'd stand him up on, hold the guy on his shoulders, and the other guy would come off the top rope with the clothesline. Right. Just because right. it looked like whoever got that was going to die. It was just one of the most devastating looking moves you'd ever seen. And when they finished, granted, the Road Warriors were a, a monster heel style team and they just ran everybody over. This just added to the you just got run over. Having seen that firsthand in person, I. I really thought guys were going to die sometimes when I saw them yeah. take it. I was at a WWF back in the day, TV taping. I'd done about eight or ten of them back in the day. And I was in, I remember exactly where it's at, uh, was in Dayton, Ohio. And I'd done, um, they'd done two shows on a, this particular loop was three shows, but the, was, uh, up in Fort Wayne, Indiana and Dayton, Ohio, uh, started in Huntington, West Virginia. Nonetheless, the one guy, they picked this guy up, man. I think he's in Boston, big, tall, red-headed guy, and animal hooked underneath, 
lifted him up, hawked him up, and this fucking guy they dropped him right on his head. Uh, he was a big old boy too. He's a big old boy. And I thought he done broke his fucking neck. I mean, I and I've seen him do it to where you know guys do land you know flat. But yeah, that's that's oh that's that's nice. I mean, no, it's not. Never mind. I, I don't want to take it. Put it that way. Yeah. I would not want to be on the receiving end of that. And thankfully, I never was because I, that's a devastating, devastating uh, hold and move. Cool, cool. Um, my next one is the camel clutch. That comes in at number what is that seven for me? The yep, camel clutch seven. And you know, people might call it the Steiner recliner. Um, I've been in that, but it's a bit different. I just, I just like the the, the camel clutch is what I call it. Um, just out of respect for the chic, cheeky, yeah, <laughs> cheeky baby. Yeah. Well, and he won the world title with that hold. Exactly. And if it wasn't for a sheik, there would be no Hulk Hogan. That's right. <laughs> and, so. and the sheik had a chance to do one dirty on uh, Vince and take the world title of the AWA. And the sheik went to the boss and said, hey, here's what Vern wants me to do, and I'm not going to do it. Yeah, I think he done the right thing. Stayed with business, business only, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Look, you, there's never a good payday for anybody in doing dirty shit. It just yeah. it never pays off. It will right. always catch you in. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You want to follow up with your number six? Number six, I'm real biased. I'm gonna be real biased on it. It's the Northern Light Suplex. There you go. That's a nice uh, one. I put that in there. Dean Malenko. Uh, I was at a show. I was doing a guest announcing for Suncoast Pro Wrestling. I had worked earlier uh, in the match, on the matches rather, the TV taping. And Dean pulled this out on a guy about six eight, about three hundred pounds. And it was just like, I popped out of my seat. Oh, my God, Northern Light Suplex, you know. Cause I didn't know he could do it to someone that big, and he did. And I think uh, Hiro Hase is the one in Japan that, that blessed Dean and said, you can use this also while I was there. And so I bugged Dean until I was I drove him crazy all the way home that night. We was in Sarasota all the way back to Tampa. I was like, Dean, you got to show me. You got to show me. And so we got to the gym on a following, that was like a Saturday or so, following Tuesday or Wednesday of training, you know, and, and he, he started teaching me the basics of it. And, of course, I started using it in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. I had used it some, but not not anywhere on national TV or, or well, regional TV, I guess, at the time. And I remember when I'd done it, I'd done it to uh, this Stroh, who was Robbie Eagle at the time, and Cornette was being the Hill Commissioner, and he actually broke care when I watched the playback because I went over with it carrying that junior heavyweight title mm-hmm. and, I, and, and I did the Northern Light Suplex and Cornette broke character and he goes and Bobby plays with, with a Northern Light Suplex and he kind of jumped up from the table and uh, <laughs> he, he, he popped for it but yeah I just I think it's a beautifully execute when it's done right and you put the bridge into it and you arch your back just right and you lay the guy out smooth I just I love the Northern Light Suplex so I had to put that in there so I'm very biased on it but that's that's what I'm putting in there now it's an amazing looking move like you said especially when it's executed perfectly like Dean Malenko did every move yeah <laughs> um, you know I don't think I'd ever seen I, I'm gonna have to go do some Google search tonight see if I can find a match or anything where you do I don't think I've seen it but um yeah it's just an incredible looking move when it powers off like that really cool that's yeah. a great that's a good choice I, I didn't even think um yeah. well my number six is the power bomb Mm, okay. Which, which gets used a lot now, even by smaller guys. But back, you know, in the olden days, there were a small handful of big guys who worked Japan and brought this back. I think Terry Gordy used one occasionally. Yes. Uh, Vader used one, and when Vader did it, people died. <laughs> <There> was... <laughs> well, I'm gonna jump ahead of mine. I had the power bomb listed as number four, um, so I'll go ahead and just add my two cents for that if you don't care. Then. Sure. Yeah. Go right ahead. Um, but yeah, the power bomb. I agree when it 
everyone does it now, but at one time it wasn't used that much. And, and probably one of the first times I saw it was on some old tapes uh, when I was at Malenko's and they had some VHS tapes and I saw Terry Gordy doing it. Um, and I just, I was like, holy cow, look at that. He's just killing these Japanese guys, man. He's just fucking killing them. And, um, yeah, I, I, the, it's, it's maybe used too much now, but at one point, you know, when people just used it and that was the finish. And some of those Japanese guys, I know when I was over at Jensei, uh, when I worked with him, you know, he, um, he, he done it. He, we had two different finishes we'd go into depending on how well I took the power bomb or if he, I'd take the pin, pin, or he rolled me into a submission afterwards. And it's just, if, it, if it's done correctly and you get the guy up real nice and you lay him out nice and flat, it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. But when I first saw it, uh, Gordy was one of the earlier ones that I saw using it as well. But like you said, a guy like Vader or someone gets out of fucking control with that fucking, they're dead. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> so, just, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I had mine, I had that listed as number uh, four on mine. Yeah, so, well, that's that's a good number four. Um, yeah, you know, and I want to go to I'm going to go ahead and lead into number five because I went with the figure four leg lock. Okay, okay. And you know, I still well, I think everybody does now, but I still have my I broke Wahoo's le- Wahoo's leg shirt. Oh, and and you nice. tell and when you tell people, you're like, look, you know, Greg Valentine. They had to send Wahoo somewhere else. Greg Valentine, quote unquote, broke his leg using the figure four. Even non wrestlers like, oh, the figure four, I know that one, you know. Yeah, yeah, I think everyone knows that one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Flair, Flair had a perfect one. Uh, it just you know, when somebody does the figure four correctly, you're just looking at him thinking he's he's gonna break that dude's leg. There's yeah, there's no way out I, of this. I agree. Yeah, I I I go back one. I had the DDT um, is what I skipped over when I went to the power bomb. I just went to the DDT. Oh, sure. Uh, so we just kind of pass over that one there. And then um, we went over to Powerbomb, and now you're at the figure four. I had the figure four listed as my number two. Okay. okay. Well, that's a good so that, that's why I wanted to uh, to blend in there with you. Yeah, I, I agree with you. When you see that figure four, man, and, and most people, like, you know, you do a name association and, and, and say professional wrestling, and people do certain things. They'll say, like, you know, Hulk Hogan or Ric Flair or, or what have you. Figure four is one of those things that is one of those if you're not even a wrestling fan, oh, you know the figure four. You know, they know what the hell you're talking about when you say a figure four. They might not know how to apply it or they may not know exactly what it is, but they know, they know what a they know the name of the figure four leg lock. Yep. And when, like you said, when like Flair, for example, when he, when someone puts it on you and you see him lock that on, you just know some motherfucker getting her leg snapped, you know? And, yep. uh, it's just, it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's beautiful when executed correctly. <clears throat> well, and there's a lot of finishers now that you don't get, you don't understand what they would do to put somebody out or, or make them tap or whatever. The figure four is not one. Cause you're looking at it going, okay, so both knees are under attack. That hip's under attack. There, there, this guy's got nothing in his favor right now. And if he, yeah. and if he gets tired of fighting and lays down, he'll get, he'll get three counted. Right. Right. Yeah. So that yeah. was always one that I thought, well, do you want to comment a little bit about the DDT since you've got that as your number five? I was just going to say, I, Basically, it's to me, it's a beautiful move, especially when you snap into it like Jake Roberts did. He had always hooked a guy, and that's just who comes to mind. I know uh, Ron Starr, when I worked with him up in Canada, he had worked out in Kansas City some, and he was an old-timer, and he was, he was, you know, he always used that as well. And he made it look so beautiful. Of course, that was on a regional basis. And every night when he snapped that DDT, when it was just, it was just beautiful. And when he done it, it was, you know, you know at the time, and, and I, there was a time, and I guess they still try to to an extent. When someone does a move, on, on a, especially like WWE now, um, 
when you have a finishing hold, you, no one else does on the whole fucking card, you know. Yeah. So that way when Jake Roberts is out there and he gives a signal and he hooks that, you know it's coming. You know, the short clothesline, boom, DDT, the person is not kicking out of it, you know. So when it's executed, one again, it's one of the things, when it's executed perfectly, you're driving a fucking guy's head straight through the mat. I mean, even he done uh, Ricky Steamboat, he done him. Oh, he, yeah. He begged, you know, he begged him, Ricky, you don't want me to do this, I guess. Is, I don't know how he you know, worded it, but, you know, you don't want me to do this. And he, he did it outside on the concrete. You know, it, it's a devastating hold. And if a guy's even charging you, you know, in a street fight, uh, you know, not that I want to be in one or encourage people to go out and put this on him, but if, if a guy's head's, you know, right there around your waist and you lock around his front face right there and you just drop straight back, I mean, you're laying on your back, sure, but, man, you're, you're grinding a fucking guy's head and neck straight down into the concrete or asphalt or whatever. And I, Buddy Landau done me one night in Knoxville, and I had a stinger. I mean, he was taking care of me. He wasn't trying to intentionally hurt me, nothing like that. But I had my hand out, and, you know, a little bit of my head was peeking through just enough that when we hit, bam, man, I had a stinger all the damn rest of the night, you know. Uh, so I can imagine if, if my head had been sticking through any further, you know, how much damage could have been done, you know. Oh, so yeah. I know it's a devastating, devastating hold. And like I said, I go back to name association of Jake Roberts. You know, when you saw a guy like that set it up and you know something like that's coming, then the fans, you know, they anticipate it. And there it is. And when it's executed, boom, and you say, oh, there's the finish. You know, that's that's what you work for, you know. So that's, to me, it's just a very devastating finishing move. It, yeah, it really is a nasty, nasty move. Um, I do have that on my list, but I'll make my comments when we get to that number. Sure. Uh, did you want to do your number four? Uh, well, I had I had power bomb as number four. That's, that's right. why that's why I skipped DDT. I had power bomb as number four. I forgot to write so. it down when you said it though. Then, well, my number four is the pile driver. Okay. And the pile driver is a devastating move. We've seen it done on floors. We've seen spike pile drivers. We've had federations outlaw them. They cause cancer. <laughs> Oh man, um, it it is. I I remember the first time I really saw a good pile driver, Paul Orndorff on Hulk Hogan. We turned on. Yeah, there you go. And you're just like, oh my god, look at that! And it was also my first major heel turn. Okay. That I that I saw as a fan, the first one that I like was, you know, not like a little kid enough that you know it's just dudes beating each other up, but like, oh my god, that guy's tag team partner just just shanghaied him completely. Yeah. And so it always left a a nice. Uh, impression on me is just like what a devastating thing and you know what it's funny to me that Paul Orndorff set up for the pile driver was often a short arm clothesline as well oh okay yeah okay so that was my number four and you had the power bomb yes all right so, uh, my number two was the figure four oh, leg wait, lock that wait, we went on, over. What do we, what do we have for number three for? Well, that's why I was going to go. I'm going to back up. I just okay. want to let you know while you're writing that down. I want to let you know. So after the power bomb at number four, um, I had already skipped to number two to figure four to go ahead and add my two cents worth for that. So my number three is the German suplex. I always just thought that was such a beautiful move when a guy got behind you and this could do a, do that arch, you thrust those hips. And I didn't like the release one as well as I did the one where they held on and took them straight back and over. And I, there was a picture at Malenko's and it was of Carl Gotch uh, doing a big Japanese guy. And it was just a, so whoever took the picture was just picture fucking perfect. I mean, that's the only way to describe it. And, I, and I've seen it in magazines, I've seen it done. And it's just one of those things that I think it's just a, a work of beauty when you get behind a guy, especially, you know, two bigger guys. And you just 
get underneath the ground his waist underneath his hips and thrust and arch and then you both hit and you know you're right there and his shoulders are pinned and i don't like him kicking out i don't like your release i like it as a finish you know you pick him up drop him straight back boom one two three a german suplex and that was my um that was my number three pick right there yeah you know what else i liked about a standard german suplex into a pin was you could set up a uh, a real dirty ending with it too, where the guy that got suplex gets his shoulder up, so you could have a match that just goes all out, and the guy does a bridging German suplex, and then the guy who took the suplex wins the match. That's mm-hmm. one of the things I always loved about that movie. Yeah, it looks amazing, but the storytelling potential was so high with that one. Oh yeah, yeah, and then you also could have the you know the the heel run in because the guys you know he's arched, he's back. And, you know, the manager can come in. There's so many different things, of course, with the finish. But, yeah, there's you're kind of at that blind spot, like you said. The the guy that puts the one can actually be more uh, vulnerable than the one that, you know, took it. Yeah. And also, if you're trying to keep a guy strong and you know the guy's finish is the German suplex, you know, watch out for it. You can still do the one, two, three, but barely kick out right when he says three, and you keep the guy strong. You know, okay, yeah. you got beat. You got beat by the guy with the better move tonight, but you almost kicked out of it, you know. So I, there's a lot of possibilities with it. So I had that as number three. Yeah, that's that's a great one. My number three is the DDD, which we covered a little bit. Cool. But I did I did save this story just because I wanted to tell it. Was I did see a guy get DDT'd into gravel one time when I was in high school. And oh it God. Was, And it was nasty. It's like, uh, Bobby, do you remember the first time you ever actually heard somebody punch somebody else and it just sounds like pieces of meat slabbing together and you just kind of get, it's like a little bit gross that first time? Yes, yes. Okay, so my, the first time I saw somebody actually drop somebody else, with the, it was a big heavy guy dropping a slightly smaller guy with it and it was right into gravel in a parking lot and dude came up uh, and he had shit buried in his forehead. Oh, God. And, and was starting to get a little bloody and you just kind of look and you're just kind of like, oh, that's that's disgusting. <laughs> so I guess that fight was over at that point. Yeah, that pretty much did that one in. That guy took yeah. like two more kicks to the ribs, and that's all it took. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like I said, it, 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 it can be as real as you can make it. You know, exactly. you get that guy's head like you fucking then on gravel. Ouch. <laughs> yep. It's, it's just, it's all bad at that point. Oh, you mind, do you mind if I do my number two? Please do. Because I've already went through mine except for my number one. So yeah. do your number two. So my number two is the Tiger Driver 91 by Masawa, which is a nasty, nasty, nasty where you land on your shoulders, the back of your neck, and the back of your head driver. And it is... There are moves, Bobby, that, and I'm going to ask you about this kind of thing when we get done. I see some people catch these moves, and I just think there is no way a sane person would go, hey, you're taking this move tonight. You got it, boss. I'm all over it, because you're going to die if you get hit yeah. like this. And the Tiger Driver, I don't think it looks safe at all. I, I For all I know, it might have damaged somebody, but I'll tell you what, it looked realistic as hell. Refresh my memory as to how this, if this is exactly what I'm thinking of, how, when you go, are you behind the guy and let me, is he in a full Nelson? Are you talking about a dragon driver or? Well, it's, let me, let me, I'm going to try to, it is in a, uh, like a chicken wing. Like if you're going to do a chicken wing pile driver on somebody, you start okay. with that and then you lift them and then you basically power bomb them onto the back of their neck, shoulder, their shoulders. Back of the neck okay. and back of the head. So, I mean, it's like okay. a spike drop almost. Yes. Okay. I've seen it. I didn't even think about that one. I was thinking about the dragon suplex, excuse me, where the guy has him with a full Nelson and takes him back into a German suplex. There's a little protection on that as well. So, yeah. on this Tiger driver, the guy's facing um, 
which way is his facing? He's going straight down into the mat. Or is that where his he's pretty much his chin is on his chest and has nowhere else to go? Correct. Pretty much. Yeah. Down? Yeah. It's pretty much straight down. And I, I guess down. you got to keep as tough high as you can. I imagine. Yeah. With your head, otherwise, okay. you're going to break your neck. Yeah. It's yeah. nasty looking. Yeah. I think I've seen it. I, I, I'm trying to picture it in my head. But so you're being spiked down, though, but it's way up on your upper back, if I'm not correct. Uh, yes. If I'm correct, on your upper back and shoulders. Yep, that's where it is. Okay, that's what I thought. Okay, well, that leads me to my number one. If you don't, if, or, Do you have anything else to say about it? No, 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 no. I just wanted to say it was nasty looking. I'm, I've got a question for you when we get done with our countdown, though, about, okay. about something along those. Well, my number one was going to be, it was lead into, was the pile driver. So yeah. I didn't speak up. I, 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 I caught your uh, the cancer statement. Um <laughs> My, my recollection of it goes back a little bit farther than, than I thought Orndorff, uh, you know, I put it in my book even. And, and my top ten, just so you know, can be found in, um, you know, I kicked out on two, the education wrestler. It's in there. I just kind of took my whole list and uh, expanded upon it in, in one of the chapters. But uh, the pile driver, uh, I put Orndorff over as having a great pile driver. Uh, and he done that, that, bounce, that jumping pile driver. Yep. And it was, it was tremendous, tremendous. Uh, the other one I listed was um, – uh, of course, with Jerry Lawler, because I, I got to see that early on. So I actually saw it before, you know, uh, Orndorff when you was talking about, because, um, you know, Lawler had used it, you know, several for several years in the old Memphis territory. So I got to see it. And, of course, he applied it to, you know, they outlawed it. I love that because you it's so fucking dangerous, you know, to have to outlaw it, you know. And one of the best, though, um, was when Randy Savage uh Gave the pile driver to Ricky Morton through a table. And the table, I don't think, was supposed to give. Um, there was not gimmicked or anything like that, but it was just so realistic. You know, you got the macho man, Randy Savage, up there, fucking Ricky Morton. And I love Ricky Morton to death, man. You talk one of the best sellers. He didn't have to fucking sell that night. They went through that table. And my God, it was just, it was, it was wild to see because the believability factor didn't need to be added in. It was already there, you know. And then, like I said, just having grown up on a Memphis territory with Lawler doing it and having outlawed, um, I just really, uh, I just really think, and the one you just described sounds dangerous as fuck. And I'm trying, I'm picturing in my head, I, I know I've probably seen pictures of it, but, uh, this, the pile driver to me, man, you put a guy's head between your legs and like Orndorff jumped and stuff, you're taking, you know, you're putting a guy at risk in the ring professionally. But, um, you know, if a guy's, like you said, go back to that DDT that you saw, you got a guy's head between your crotch like that, and you lift him up and go straight down for your body weight. You're spiking a guy's neck with all of his weight behind him, you know, coming straight down. It, it, it can be so devastating. So uh, that's my number one is the pile driver. Yeah, that's a great one. Um, the, you know, if if the move I'm going to name as my number one weren't in my list, I'd have to reorganize the whole thing. Because okay. the way the way I do things, like I set things up in, in pairs. So I'll take like any two of the moves I have, right? Mm-hmm. And then I'll go, okay, out of these two, which one's my favorite? That one moves on, and instead of trying to pick out a ten, I just go back to twos, and then I sort from there. Okay. That way, because the human brain's better at yes and no than it is <laughs> pick one of five. Okay. <laughs> so mine is the diamond cutter. Uh, specifically, I'm calling it the diamond cutter and not the ace driver or the RKO or anything else. Because I think this move really came into its own with Diamond Dallas Page using it, and he could hit anybody from anywhere with it at any point. And WCW did such a good job training the audience to realize 
that when he hits you, you're done. Nobody's kicking out, nobody's getting away, and he can be getting his ass kicked and still grab you and hit you, hit you with it. I agree 100%. I used that in Japan uh, on all the younger boys. That was a finish I used for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, just kind of give them a good, a good easy bump to take, and you're trying to bring them along, you know, bring them along the way for you. Um, I agree with you. I didn't have it on my list, um, but I like that you used it, the actual name, the Diamond Cutter, you know, instead of the RKO or anything else. The thing about a good finishing move or hold like that that you mentioned, uh, that, that whether you're a casual fan or a hardcore fan or, or one of the boys, is um, you want to do a move that you can do on any one. At any given time, and that there is one what you said that that D, uh, the diamond cutter it can just come out of anywhere. That's the good thing about it. And it can be done on an opponent of any size. And like you said, they actually that's something WCW you know did get right when they when they promote something like that. You know you got to get the emphasis over that this move is a devastating move. You know so so good choice, man. I liked your top ten. I really dig it, man. I, I had forgotten all about the diamond cutter, but that's a, that's a good one. Fuck, real yeah. good. Well, you, I like yeah, it. I should have, you know, there's two moves in yours right off the top. I should have gone. There's no reason the Boston Crab should have been left out of mine or the abdominal stretch. I used to love that move. Um, you know, on honestly, with the Boston Crab, so many moves are born out of that. You know, yeah. The, uh, the, the scorpion death lock, the camel clutch is kind of like a reverse double yeah. upside down. Uh, it really is. And it's one of the founding submission hold to pro wrestling, really. Well, that's what I was going to say when you said it. it just struck a chord with me. You said that about the the Boston Crab. That, that's kind of one of the older, you know, traditional type moves. But that also shows the evolution of the business as you went through to to what you saw. Like there's the diamond cutter. You know, what I'm saying that's something yep. that that become it, it, just a good transition from you know what used to be. Oh, you could do a rest hold out of the abdom- uh, excuse me. I was going to say abdominal stretch. Of course, you could turn that into the uh, guillotine. But the mm-hmm. Boston Crab, you know, you can sit there, you get that rest hold, you can get that arch, you can get you know, you're in, in, in putting a pain on a guy. But it also so shows the uh, the pace of the matches, the, the change uh, through the years. Um, you know, a lot of guys don't use that in the middle of the ring anymore because you can go to something like. When you're talking about like a diamond cutter, you know, you can go from whatever spot you're doing, wherever you're at, and out of nowhere, you hit them with it, boom, and you know it's over one, two, three. So, yeah, it's, um, it kind of just shows the, um, even though, you know, we had a couple different moves on there, everything we talked about was they all had some, they're very effective when done properly, and, and that's what made the believability. I don't think there's one move on there. Um, yeah, you can go back to, you know, the sleeper and you say, well, yeah, well, is he really asleep or whatever? They make a mockery of it or sometime at, at some point. But for the most part, all those moves we talked about, probably about 14 of them, maybe I had a couple, you had a couple extra, 14, 15 moves, all are very devastating holes and moves and, and just stuff that look very realistic that makes the believability in the match that you're watching. It takes you that suspended belief for a moment. You say, oh, shit, that guy just got beat, man, and here's why. You know, here's how. Did you see how he got beat? You believed it. You know, it, it, everything was devastating that we talked about. Um, and if it wasn't devastating, like, you know, out of nowhere, like like the diamond cutter, you knew the guy was going to tap out because he had that figure four on him. Or if he didn't pass out, he's going to fall or tap out, right? He's going to fall back and take the three count like you mentioned, you know, because the pain was so excruciating. But his pride, his pride wouldn't let him tap. And he just rolled back one, two, three. He still got beat, you know. Yeah. So it's one of those things I think. I think we had a great, great list, and I hope our listeners enjoyed, you know, hearing our top ten uh, professional wrestling moves and holds. 
Well, so. and if anybody out there wants to contact us on Twitter, Bobby, why don't you throw them our Twitter handles right? Yeah, our Twitter handle. We can go to uh, Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze at Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. You can always use the hashtag BBBB. Blend in. Let us know what you think. Uh, you know your top ten. Give us your top two or three if you want. Um, you can reach Jeremy at the Geekish Cast, and you can reach me at Bobby Blaze seven forty four on Twitter. So again, that's Jeremy. He's at the Geekish Cast on Twitter. I'm at Bobby Blaze 744 or also you can get our page or Twitter page Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze using the hashtag BBBB. Tell us what you think are your top 1, 2, 3, 10 or 20 and, and make them realistic, you know. Uh, be honest. Tell us what you think. Did you like Jeremy's list? Did you like my list? Did you like our combined list? Um, let us know one of your experiences. Jeremy told a great story about someone getting a DDT in a street fight, you know. Um, and I'm not encouraging anyone to go out there and fire get yourself in a DDT. But, hell, let us know. Did you see someone? I saw someone in seventh grade get the fucking sleeper hold put on him, you know. Uh, a teacher done it. Just uh, He was an old World War II veteran and, and put a student out, you know. So tell, share a story with us. Let us know, uh, you know. Um, let us know if you think the pile driver uh, or the diamond cutter or, you know, what your favorite is. And reach us um, at Bobby Blaze 744 at the Geekish Cast or Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. Use the hashtag BBBB. Uh, yeah, and actually the the uh, other Twitter there is Bell to Bell Blaze at Bell to Bell oh, Blaze. Oh yeah, that's Bell that's all right. It's, okay. We just got to get used to saying it. So Bobby, I got to ask: Was there ever a move that would have been an absolute deal breaker for you? You just been like, I'm not taking it. Was there ever one of those out there? Oh man. Um, well, honestly, I would not have wanted to take. And you mentioned it was when I don't even know. When the road warriors picked you up on the shoulder, what'd you call that? Doomsday the, uh, device. The doomsday. I, I wasn't a fan of that. I saw people taking it in person. I mean, I saw it as a fan first, and then I saw it in the back as one of the boys on the monitor. Um, I just, I just wasn't a fan of that. I wouldn't say it'd be a deal breaker. I would just hope they would take care of me. Cause I know you're doing, you know, you're getting and you're taking a backflip, you're landing, but hell, I don't know. Um, would it be a deal breaker? I wouldn't want to take it. Um, I didn't want to, uh, there's several things, you know, sometimes you don't want to do and you end up doing me anyway. Um, you know, I took a power bomb off the fucking top rope, you know, but I trusted Chris Candido four fucking nights in a row to do that. So I would just like to think, uh, one professional to another professional, giving each other professional courtesy that had I been put into the doomsday device that I would have been taken care of. Uh, but there wasn't any really one particular, um, hold or move that I saw that I didn't want to. Um, like even the razor's edge when, you know, when he'd pick guys up, all I would like to do is be laid out flat. Um, having experienced, uh, uh, one person that didn't take very good care of people and, um, dropping people on their necks and their heads and shit like that. There's no call for that. And I'll go into that story another time cause we're running out of time here. Sure, but, sure. um, no, not really because I would, I would like to think that I was professional enough and the person I was working with professional enough to say, you know, Hey, I'm going to lay you out flat. Just go up with me and, and feel good about it. You know? Um, so if I was going to answer of one thing I saw and I didn't want to do, and that would have been probably the doomsday device. I, I, I was not a fan of that. It, <laughs> it looked pretty fucking uh, scary to me. So um, anytime you're going backwards, you know, asshole over elbows backwards, you can't see what's behind you, how quick that match coming. You're going to hit pretty damn quick, you know. So uh, I'd pass on that one probably. <laughs> so. yeah, I, I couldn't say as I blame you for that. And you, and you had no problem getting in the ring with Scott Steiner. 
So no, yeah. no, no, I didn't. Um, yeah, you know, so it is what it is. Um, yeah. Scott and I got along just fine, and I had people waiting for me after that match to make sure I was okay, and I was. But um, Scott's just Scott, man. And uh, hell, you got a job to do, you go in there and do it. And uh, uh, out of professional courtesy, uh, without giving too much away, and we'll talk about that another time, um, he took care of me. So it was, it was all yeah. good. Um, it was all good and got a paycheck out of it and, and got some publicity out of it. And yeah, so uh, yeah, you're talking to a guy, got in a ring with fucking Scott Steiner, and here I'm telling you, I don't want to take the Doomsday device, yeah. but you know, I probably fucking would. What am I telling you? That's a fucking paycheck. So, yeah. uh, well, what and I, I realize there's no, but um, well, that's what I was going to say is I realized that you don't, you know, people didn't really ever really say no to things unless they were Shawn Michaels. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I don't know that I would have said no to it, but um, I would just hope that professional courtesy, and I think it would have been because I, I used to speak to, you know, being around some of these guys, it's how you present yourself. You're a grown fucking man. You know, I didn't act like a kid, I, you know, 30 years old, and I, I'm talking to these guys in the back or whatever. I wasn't marking out or, or anything like that. You know, not that I'm a mark sometimes. Cause I'm, a, I'm a fan just like, you know, everyone else. But but given the circumstances, the job we got to do in the ring, I would hope that that professional courtesy would have been extended. Like, hey, this is Bobby Lay. I'm out nice and flat, you know. Um, and I told a story about that and pin me, pay me. There's a story about um, uh, a guy being hot. And I'll go into that another time, too. We were, we're running out of time here. But um, a couple guys, Barbarian and Ming, you know, put the word in for me. Hey, Bobby's a good kid. Take care of him. And a guy in question took care of me. So uh, it's always good to have someone like Ming and Barbarian uh, to have your back, you know. <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. I was, just, uh, I was just talking to Barbarian last Saturday. Like I said, we, we was talking about, about we used to play basketball together. Barbarian's a hell of a basketball player, believe it or not. Um, he and I used to play basketball together quite a bit uh, down in Florida. So um, uh, he actually put the word in one time with uh, Scott Norton, Scott Flash Norton. He said, hey, take care of Bobby in the ring. And, and Flash did, and I was really thankful for that. So, uh, so yeah, uh, not any one particular move, um, but if I was going to name one, I guess it would be your move, the uh, uh, devastation. Device. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'll pass on that. How's that? That works for me. <laughs> All right, Bobby. Well, we yeah. are. I got to get a bell sound effect because that would have been so much better if I said, "Oh, and that's the bell." We are desperately out, desperately out of time, ladies and gentlemen. Bobby, would you like to say goodbye? I would like to say goodbye. Jeremy, goodbye. Fans, thank you very much, and goodbye to you. And we'll talk to you very, very soon on the Bell to Bell of Bobby Blaze podcast. Bye, bye, everybody. Five.